have a super important question to start off the show today, and it goes like this. Yeah. How bored does the devil have to be to go to the middle of nowhere, Georgia, to a crossroads and pick on some hick and say, hey, you want to go to a fiddle contest? Like, yeah. what's going on with the devil that he's got nothing better to do? He's like, you know what? I'm just going to go to Georgia today. I'm going to I'll test some guy on a fiddle. That, that's how yeah. I'll do it today. And, and on a fiddle, no less. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you, I, I always I always just assumed the devil was an accordionist. <laughs> you know, but, but here he is with a fiddle and 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 to, to make himself feel better about whatever lot he's got in life he's got to challenge this guy to a to a fiddle contest and uh and, and not for nothing but i i i don't know that he was all that great <laughs> he didn't he didn't bring it i'm gonna be honest he's yeah. had eternity to work on that fiddle playing he didn't bring it johnny beat he him kind of deserved to lose yeah a guy with one tooth beat him. But also, like, what is going on with Crossroads in the South? Like, is there just, was there nothing to do in the 30s and 40s so you would just hang out at the Crossroads and, like, wait for a wagon to go by and be like, well, hey, look, there's a wagon. Woo, well, that's my Tuesday. Back to bed for me. Yeah, it's like it, that, there was nothing else on the agenda. That was that was just it. So, like, Johnny had nothing going on. The devil had nothing going on. They both had fiddles. They're like, yeah. you know what? Let's play for our souls. How about that? And, and and it's bad enough that the film music wasn't that great, but the lyrics were even worse. I mean, I mean, here, here we go. Here's what we got for lyrics. Fire on the mountain, run boys run, the devil's in the house with the rising sun, chicken in a bread pan picking out dough, granny does your dog bite, no child no. Now, I've heard some, <laughs> I've heard some crappy lyrics in my time, but but that makes no sense to me. Brad, a lot of that can be explained by fetal alcohol syndrome, I think, is what's going on there. A lot of the lyric writing of most most Southern. But also, like, okay, so Johnny wins. He beats the devil, Brad. He yeah. beats the devil. He's he's a better fiddle player than the devil. And right. what does he get for it? He gets a golden fiddle. What the hell do you do with a golden fiddle? You can't like, play you a try golden to go fiddle? to a pawn shop in the South with a golden fiddle. They'll be like, I can give you a dollar for it all day long. That's all I got. I can't do much with a golden fiddle. Like, Could what you, you imagine? Doing? How terrible that thing sounds. Plus, it's too heavy. It's too heavy. You've got that thing on your shoulder. It's weighing you down. You're going to walk like uh, on, on a 45 degree angle for the rest of your life. Yeah. And that neck is giving you no bow at all. Like it's it's not yeah. giving you any sort of bounce. So it's, your sound is you're literally playing tinny music because yeah. you're on a gold fiddle. I, I got to tell you, it's all falling apart. This whole Charlie Daniels song is falling apart when you really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to have to give back the millions he made on that album. And on that note, I'll say hello, everybody, and welcome to Comic Lab, the show about making comics. And making a living from comics, I'm Brad Geiger, the author of the Web Comics Handbook and the creator of Evil Inc. And I'm his pal Dave Kellogg, cartoonist of Drive and Sheldon and co-director of the documentary Stripped. And this week's hour of comics advice is made possible by your support at patreon.com slash comic lab. And a reminder to everyone that you could be watching us stream live each week as we record the show for our comic lab live gab friends. And there's a concurrent chat running alongside the stream where we answer your questions before, during, and after the show. And if you happen to miss this live stream for life, love, or learning, it is archived each week so you can watch it later. So do join us over at Patreon and Dave, Dave. Let's talk comics. Let's talk comics, my friend. We have a big show for everybody today. A lot of questions, a lot of fun questions to jump right into. And Bradley, what is our first, my friend? 
Oh, here's the first question that's going to get us right out of the bat. This comes in from our Comic Lab backer, Mark, who says, I'm not sure if this has been answered before, but has anybody considered OnlyFans as a viable <laughs> alternative to Patreon? <laughs> this started off as a joke between my wife and me, but I see professional chefs and motorcycle racers are on OnlyFans, so why not cartoonists? So, Dave... When are we going to see a Sheldon Comics OnlyFans? Well, it's I'm I'm so happy you asked, Brad. It's I can announce it now. It's launching Tuesday. Keep an eye out. It's a uh, boy. It's going to be a family fun for the whole gang. That's uh, right. No, so I have a, a bigger question to ask you before we even get into this question, Brad. What is a motorcyclist doing on OnlyFans? What is that content? Just slow pans down the down the oil tank there. What, what are the gas tank? A lot of those guys. A lot of those those guys have very pretty feet. <laughs> specific that was a very specific pitch of that joke brad i a little bit feel like you've been to this only fans i'm not sure <laughs> well, listen all that all that riding and stuff it it, it builds up those uh those arches very nicely it, yeah. it, it's a work of art so okay so the question here is could you bring a comic to only fans now uh do i have your reading correct brad that this didn't sound to me like this was uh, definitively described as an NSFW comic. It sounded right. like in, in by them comparing it to a chef or a motorcyclist, right. it sounds like they're saying this is a little bit broader audience. You know, like yeah. this is a, you know, quote unquote normie comic, whatever you want to describe that as, you know, yeah. in terms of not being only fans content. So could you do this? I think is the operative word. Uh, yeah. And you you've described this way better than I have for any time. Well, there's a could be question. Yeah, I, I, the question to a could be question, or I'm sorry, the answer to a could be question is always the same. The answer is yes. Could you use OnlyFans as a Patreon alternative? Yes. Could you use a tin can as a Patreon alternative? <laughs> also, yes. Right? It's up. Could you? Yes. If you find a way to do it, then you could do it. Right? That there's and 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 it's only up to you to make this thing work. There are a, a, a couple of dozen Patreon clones out there, and I wouldn't concern. I wouldn't consider OnlyFans to be a clone, but Patreon also has a number of of other entities out there that are trying to do exactly what it's doing. You you could use any of these only fans uh, right down to the tin cup. You could you could do any of these. Could you is not the question to ask. The question is why? Right. Why are you looking for a Patreon alternative? Right. Right. Why would you go? Well, OnlyFans uh, has it, 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 I'm certain I'm sure it does have a motorcycle rider. I'm sure it does have a chef. Uh, but OnlyFans is known for his particular type of content and which is not safe for work content. It's adult content. And when they tried to get rid of their adult content, uh, all of their user base and all of their creators, for the most part, uh, rejected them. They said, Leslie, yeah, you get rid of them. We'll just find someplace else to go. And, and OnlyFans reversed that decision within like 24, 48 hours. It was it was a it, it, their fan base is defined by adult content for better, for worse. Okay. So the question is why, if you are doing a safe for work comic, why do you want to go to OnlyFans when Patreon, by the way, love them or hate them, Patreon has this thing figured out and they have a huge user base, right? They've got a bunch of people who already have 
Patreon accounts. Why are you looking for a replacement for something that's working perfectly well. Now, you 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 might have a reason. You might like, well, I don't like uh, I don't like Patreon because I don't like any company that starts with the letter P, or you don't like the fact that they use orange in their branding, or you you could have any other right. reasons you want. Those reasons are your own, and if you want to go and replace them, then you have that right, and then you go and deal with whatever new problems you're going to find with OnlyFans or the Tin Cup or whatever. But it, it, these could you questions are always have the same answer. It's 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 yes. The most important question to ask, in my opinion, is why. And I, I, I for me, from where I stand, I don't see a good reason. Patreon is working really well. Patreon has been solid for years and years and years. And until they give us a reason to start looking someplace else. I'm not sure that it's a great use of our time. Yeah, um, I'll reword it slightly differently from how Brad said it. Could you do it? Yes. Should you do it? Probably not. Um, in the sense that uh, network effects um, have a power in and of themselves. There's a reason why Facebook grew the way it grew. And because yeah. it's when all your cousins were on there, your old college buddy was on there, your boss from work was on there, and your new your your softball friends from after work are on there, you mm -hmm. join the network because it's it's much easier to have um all the sort of linkages that that can happen when um the network effect kicks in. Uh, that same type of thing is happening for Kickstarter and Patreon to a small, much smaller degree than it did with with Facebook, obviously. But that kind of ecosystem where every creator you've ever heard of probably has a Patreon. Um, most fans are aware of Patreon uh, and they are they probably already have a credit card stored in that system. That's a key one. Um, so when you when you jumping on to Patreon as a creator, you're already kind of jumping on board to pre-existing network effects. Um, that Kickstarter and Patreon have that, frankly, buy me a coffee or Ko-Fi or I'm trying to think of the other ones, GoFundMe. They have yeah. it, but it's just to a far lesser degree. Um, and only fans probably has it, too, in terms of having a network effect. Mm -hmm. But it might not be um, the destination that people were looking for comics for, especially right. if you are not serving up NSFW comics. It, yeah. might, it, it might just be like trying to set up shop in a barber shop and say like, hey, fresh cut steaks. I got fresh yeah. steaks here. And people are like, yeah. I came to get my hair cut. No, I'm not. I don't want right. to buy steaks here. You know, that kind of thing. So yeah. I, it might just be the wrong place, wrong time. And it also just might be a smaller network effect than you would have on Patreon. Although I don't know the numbers involved. Brad, may, I should have looked that up. Do you happen to know offhand? what the uh, what the user base numbers are for I just I, it, this is surprising to me uh, but but and, and and I would not have guessed this but uh, I according to a really quick uh search that I did it says that OnlyFans has 120 mil 120 million users Patreon uh their last update said over 8 million patrons so I'm going to completely change my answer. Um, I'm now saying bingo on doing only. <laughs> no, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to double down. I'm going to double down because it's 120 people who are looking for a very specific thing that you are not offering. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, I, it's a big audience, but it's the wrong audience. I, I would, I would argue that that's the case too. Unless, unless, yeah. unless you have an NSFW Oh, yeah. Brad, have you, I just out of curiosity, since, since this is your world, have you ever looked into this? 
Oh you? yeah, I started. I started an account. All, all kidding aside, uh, a long, just to just to uh, park my name. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I I I've never posted anything there, uh, but I did start an account just in case I needed to jump to it because it would be a uh, a, a logical jump. I, and also, there are some subreddits where you can follow uh, creators who are using uh, OnlyFans, and I've been specifically kind of just tracking a lot of those informations to see what I can learn because I'm, I'm, I'm learning an awful lot from them and I'm, I'm learning an awful lot from romance writers in terms right. of how they, how they promote, how they're doing this, how, how they're doing that. And uh, so I, I like learning from people in that regard. I also learn <laughs> an awful lot about how people and and this is just from what I'm picking up here and there. So I don't take this as a read on OnlyFans as a business. But I I see time and time again people having trouble getting their money from paid from from OnlyFans. Oh, having trouble really? Getting paid all of a sudden because of some mysterious reason they can't get their money transferred into their account. And it's and it, and I these stories pop up often enough that I would really be hesitant to starting anything on OnlyFans because I hear these stories in these creator communities time and time and time again. And they've got screen grabs and, you know, this is what happened and I can't get through to anybody and, you know, all this other stuff. So uh, uh, do I have an account there? Yes. Do I hope that I never have to use it because I hear nothing but horror stories? Also, yes. I, in fact, in fact, if it came down to that, the tin cup would also be right up there. <laughs> so you're it's I had no idea. So it's a little bit of a shady business practices basically sometimes happen. I, I, we can't say that because their legal team, I'm sure, is very much bigger than our legal team. So I will hasten to add we can't say that. But what I will say is I read these stories over and over again to the extent that it has me concerned right right okay well, let me because let me ask you this so you've parked a name over there yeah let's just say you put comics up there is there like a blogging engine or what is it how does it work i don't know how it works i've never I, I, aside from parking my name and putting a header image up that's as far as i've gone so gotcha. I, I really okay. don't have an idea for the interface uh i've i've i've, ne- I've never gone further than that because i really haven't had to yeah. Uh, and, and one person I, I was following who was doing NSFW comics there uh, until a very short while ago, I was just, again, tracking, seeing what they were doing, how they were doing it so I could pick stuff up. And all of a sudden, uh, in fact, like like the last month or so, uh, their post was this, that they got shut down. They don't know why. And they've lost oh. uh, access to their account. Oh, so. Wow. (laughs) So that's when I say that the tin cup is right up there. If my options were between the two, I'm not exaggerating that much. I would actually consider that tin because at least I know where the tin cup is and I know where I can empty it. Uh, I I, I just keep seeing these things pop up over and over again that make me very reticent to uh, put a whole lot of steam behind that uh, engine. Well, let me advise our question asker then, if, as someone who knows nothing about how the blogging engine might work over there, I will say that if you were to walk down this path, I would still advise our main bit of advice, which is to own and control your own website. Yeah. 
and and be mirroring or syndicating or somehow you know copy pasting over to OnlyFans as you would for Patreon. In the sense yeah. that if Patreon goes down tomorrow, I have a full archive in Sheldon and Drive and a website that I can yep. then direct people from those sites to I don't know if I go to Ko-Fi or GoFundMe or whatever the next right. thing is. You know, it doesn't matter. Um, because that, something like that will eventually happen. There will be an enshittification of, of mm-hmm. Patreon at some mm-hmm. point, and we will need to redirect. So what I'm getting at here is you're still uh, on firm ground if you build and own and maintain your own website. Yeah. Because I think, Brad, even Patreon, when it got started, I think they still say this, which is build your fan base someplace else and then bring yeah. them to Patreon, right? Oh. Isn't that what their long-term advice was? That's always been the case with Patreon. And, and that's why I get a little bit disappointed when I hear people, especially from the not safe for work community, uh, getting so upset because their names don't show up in a search on Patreon. Well, listen, I, I get that. I would rather have my name show up in a search as well, but I understand why they can't do that. That's all part of what they need to do to position themselves to continue to support not safe for work. So if that's what it takes, it's like it's like the yellow impurity in the green la- lantern ring in the in the silver age. You know, I, I'm sure Hal Jordan would have liked to use his uh, ring against yellow things, but it was the one thing that he had to kind of give up. And so he went out and, and used his ring anywhere. So I don't care about being discovered on Patreon. I really don't. My job as a, co- uh, as a creator of comics is to build my audience on all of the myriad of millions of different ways that I can build an audience, whether it's social media, uh, email, or email uh, notifications, uh, eBooks, uh, there's, there's, there's way too many ways list, yeah. to build an audience, right? I don't care that I don't show up in that search, right? And, and Patreon has always been pretty upfront about that. They're not about discoverability. Not so much. They they do a good college try where they can and and listen, they're 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 in there slugging, but discoverability ain't their strong suit. And I think deep down they kind of know it, right? Yeah, and yeah. that's okay. We've only got the rest of the world to 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 work with when it comes to <laughs> these issues. We've got if 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 it was the only way to get your name out there, then I would be upset too. But we've got millions of other solutions, and uh, so it's just too easy to say, okay, well, I'm going to do this and then direct them to Patreon. I I do have to say though, it's fun at the end of this question to just admit my own humility that I was like, I mean, you got to go where the people are and the yeah. network effect of Patreon. And you're like 8 million people, oh, 120 million people. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, again, if- it shows you, it shows you that the power of adult content, this whole thing that nobody admits that they like, nobody admits that they might read an adult book. Nobody admits that they might look at a movie, but 120 to eight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's also the same kind of thing happens whenever I'm at Costco and you you turn the I think it's three and a half rows of alcohol. And I'm always like, holy shit, people drink a lot of alcohol. It always boggles my mind how much the sales for alcohol are in this huge Costco store that that's at least a 20th of their sales in terms by by physical space is is the the alcohol rows. Anyway, um, vices. It turns out it's hard to be a human. Okay, (laughs) so let me jump us into our next question that comes over from Patreon.com slash Comic Lab. And this comes in from Mon who writes, hi, Brad and Dave. I've learned enough from Comic Lab to know at least two things. Number one, first comes the crowd, then comes the funding. Number two, don't ever pay up front for print runs of books. Always crowdfund so you're not putting yourself in a bad place 
financially. Both of those are very true. I stand yeah. by those, Brad. I'm sure you do as well. Yeah. So then Mon writes, I have a quaint little following on Instagram, just shy of 450 followers. And I'm just doing this for fun and as a side hustle, not as a full-time job. At least a third of those followers are friends and people from my local Ariel's gym where I attend. And we looked this up. Ariel's gym is sort of a, um, Brad, how did you describe it when you looked it up? It's, oh, it's sort like, of like, you know, on Cirque du Soleil, when the person has like the two ribbons that are hanging from the ceiling and they climb up the ribbons and then they do twists and stuff and turns and stuff. And then they come back down. That's kind of what I'm seeing when I'm searching for aerial gyms. Yeah, I, I sort of read it as like a, an aerial gymnastics in a way. Like yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. Very, a, a little bit trapeze a little bit gymnasticky, but all very up in the similar. air. Kind of, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, okay, so uh, at least a third of those followers are friends and people from my local aerials gym where I attend. In 2021, I started posting aerial-related comics in my stories, tagging the gym instructor students, and they've become extremely popular. A friend said I should make a zine or a book of collected aerial related comics, but I felt like it would be inappropriate at my number of followers to crowdfund. So I took pre-orders through a big cartel shop I set up instead. It ended up being very popular. 10 volumes sold on the first run, seven of the second print run I'm doing now. People are clamoring for a second volume in late 2023 with any new comics. My question is, with this re resounding itty bitty success, mm -hmm. would it be appropriate to use a crowdfund site next time? It still feels like I'm asking too much with the crowd I have to do something big, like use Kickstarter for a project of this size. Brad, what is your thoughts about this? Um, side, side project, niche audience or niche audience. Right. I never get that right. Uh, is it niche or niche? Go ahead and correct me. I, I, I've always said niche, but I actually think both are acceptable. I, I think if we look this up, they're both acceptable pronunciations. It's probably the case where like the English and the French say niche and Americans are like, right. get out with that. I'm calling right. it niche. It's niche. a niche. Um, okay. So uh, a niche audience, um, a small, a short run of a big cartel sold books or, right. or zines, I guess I should say. Um, about 450 audience overall. What would you recommend about using crowdfunding? Well, if I if were use there's there's one word use there that's tripping me up because she references ten volumes. Now a volume is is is, is I think she means books. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Not ten volumes. Let's just 10 say books. units. Ten units sold. Right. I think that's what so she's we're, trying we're to talking, say. So we're talking. She's she's sold seventeen books. Yes. Right. Uh, which which obviously isn't a lot. And now she's being asked to do more. And of course, you know how tempting that is when somebody actually asks you, hey, we'd like another book. Sure. You, we, you know what I've always said about the T-shirt. You know, the first person to say, hey, I'd buy that on a T-shirt is the first person to disappear when the T-shirt comes out. So you've got to you've got to temper that a little bit. But you know how exciting it is when somebody actually asks for what you're looking for. Uh, with these numbers, I'm not going to, I, I, if these numbers, if you wanted to do another one where you took pre-orders, uh, and then what did a limited press, uh, print run, uh, it sounds like with those numbers, you're probably doing print on demand, uh, or using a digital printer, uh, to, to do a very low number of books. Uh, if you wanted to keep doing that, I wouldn't cast aspersions on you because we are talking about very, very small numbers at this point. What I would say, though, is at some point, I, I want you to take that step and, and, to, and, and to put a Kickstarter out there anyway, 
just to see and, and to prove to yourself, A, number one, if you can do it and give yourself the chance for a bigger success. Because again, if it doesn't go, it doesn't go. It doesn't, you know, it, 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 it's, it's not going to leave a lasting mark on you that you, you're going to have to live with. There's lots of people who have done Kickstarters that haven't funded. Then you just shrug and you go away and the internet forgets about everything after two weeks. So no one's going to remember this, that you had a failed Kickstarter. Yeah. At some point, I would like you just to go through the exercise of uh, you know, finding uh, somebody that would do a couple hundred of these books and find out what that would cost and see what it would take to make this happen. Just to see if it, if it does happen, just to see if you you have one of those niche uh, audiences that, that really is craving this kind of content. Uh, at some point, I want that for you. But right now, if you also said, man, that's an awful lot of stuff for, you know, for for something that may end in disappointment, you wanted to keep doing it this way. I would understand that, too. You know, 17 is not a lot of books. Uh, You're not going to you're not going to hurt anything by keeping this on what sounds to be probably a print on demand type of deal. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'd say if you're comfortable doing that and if this is something that you're just doing as a lark, I, I'd be OK with that, too. Yeah, I largely agree with Brad, and I'll give you some numbers that might help in your decision making, which is that um, your financials will largely stay the same. By financials, I mean the cost of goods sold for the book that you're producing Yeah, will largely stay the same unless you go to a four-color offset print, right? right? And for that, and Brad can correct me if he thinks it's a different number, I would say you would lead, need at least a run of a thousand or so books. Brad, would you but, say a yeah. thousand or so is about the... I, I would have said 500, but thousand is also very good in terms of bringing that cost, uh, that unit cost down. Yeah. Thousand is probably pretty accurate. Yeah. 500. I, the only reason I said a thousand is 500. You could do it, but the setup cost for the machine, the setup cost for the printer, their physical time. Um, sometimes it costs you just as much to print a thousand as it does to print 500. Honestly, it's like another 10 cents a book, um, yeah. to add another 500 on there. So anyway, what I'm getting at is let's, so you, if, unless you think you're going to get to like somewhere between 500 to a thousand, you're probably going to keep doing, um, digital printing or print on demand or something like that. So your financials won't change that much. So there's that side of thing. And then I will say that on the Kickstarter side of things, there's no minimum or uh, you know uh, required floor that Kickstarter needs or that is socially acceptable that uh, well, they're only kickstarting for $500. How right. absurd. Right. We won't let them on the platform. Uh, Kickstarter gets it. The world gets it that not everything is going to be uh, a Brandon Sanderson $40 million project. You know, right. Some things are just going to be uh, a small. Let's see if we can do it. And I, as a friend, would advise you that if you kickstart it, you might find that you can get more energy behind this than you could ever get with pre-orders. And I'll tell you mm. why. You can make this a go-to event for everyone in the aerial gym community. Because I imagine if you found this gym when you moved to the city that you were in, there's at least four or five people in your current gym that used to go to a gym in Detroit or Chicago or New York, you know, yeah. or they had college buddies that also did aerial gymnastics. And I bet the word could get out. You'd be like, hey, gang, I'd really appreciate you spreading the word to any other gyms that you went to in the past. You might be able to jump from 17 to 100. What I'm getting at is you might surprise yourself by having that 30 day um, a guidepost of a Kickstarter to really push it and see if you can get the word out. This might yeah. be a way of growing 
your overall audience for what is still arguably still a niche comic. But, you know, there's got to be 5,000 to 15,000 people in America that are, do, are attending some form of aerial gym in North America, I would imagine. And this is just me yeah. grabbing numbers out of a hat, right? Like completely out of a hat. But let's say you could own and control that market in terms of the comics, the niche market of comics about aerial gyms. Holy hell, if every aerial gym uh, could could be made aware of it, that's fantastic. That's something you yeah. might want to shoot for in a 30 day yeah. Kickstarter campaign. And again, it's not going it, to it, it's there's no there's no uh, <laughs> there's no lasting impact. If it doesn't go, it doesn't go. Yeah, and, if it doesn't and, go, it doesn't and go. Dave's right. You know, one thing we just got done talking about discoverability. That's one thing Kickstarter does extremely well is uh, discoverability. And you and the, and you'll find that you're reaching a whole lot of other aerial gym enthusiasts through the Kickstarter platform in general. So it's. It's not a bad thing. Again, when you're ready for it, I, it's something I want to really encourage you to do because that eh, take the chance. I, 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 there's, there's nothing, there's no downside. Here. There's no downside. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, you know, taking a chance is a good thing. And it, often you hear me say on the show that you want your career and granted, this is a side hustle. So I get that. Mm -hmm. But you want let's just say you want your side hustle to be slowly but increasing manageably yeah. sized mistakes. I always say you want it to be ever bigger, manageably sized mistakes. So you've rolled the dice and you made your first volumes and your, your first you know book unit or zine unit, whatever you want to describe it as. Great. It, and it, and you got it out physically, hand to hand sales, probably, I'm sure. Awesome. That's mm -hmm. even better. So you've, you've practiced the art of the sale of the pitch, how to get it into those people's hands. That's awesome, too. The next step is maybe go for a slightly wider audience. And I think think that a Kickstarter 30 day campaign might be a fun, manageably sized mistake, because as Brad said, even if it goes wrong, oh, no, you needed to get to 100 people and you only got to 80. Well, now you'll say, you know what? In your last update, gang, I'm going to do it anyway, maybe. So come reach out to me on my big cartel site. Here's the book. You can order it right now. How about that? Yeah. Even in failure, you can make it a success. And not not for nothing, uh, but like I would like to see a Kickstarter that does a, a few hundred of these just because I could easily see very, very, a very simple outreach to different aerial gyms that says, hey, would you like to sell this book at your gym? Sell it to them for 65% off the cover price uh, to the extent where you're still making a profit, right? You and and I'm not talking about taking it on uh, on commission. No, don't don't do commission. Or taking yeah. it on on what's that? What's that other word that I'm looking for? But anyway, wait, sell it to them for cheap so they can sell it on retail yep. and just see what happens because you could easily find a whole mailing list of aerial gyms. Send them a quick come on. Say, hey, would you like to sell this book uh, on your store? If, if you printed the book for uh, $10 and you sell it to them for $15 and they sell it to their customers for $20, just putting numbers off the top of my head, that's a win-win, right? Yeah. They're making yeah. money on the sale. You're making money on the sale. You're getting that stuff out there. And it's tailor-made for these aerial gyms who might want a little point-of-purchase uh, point sale thing that would be uh, uh, kind of nice for them. I, it'd be kind of neat to see if you could make that happen. And not for nothing, it might be fun to kickstart it for 30 days. Like you, as you said before, this is a side hustle. And this is also a passion of yours in your life, the, the, the aerial gym, which, by the way, how fun. 
but you know what the end of your day is won't you be happy that you tried it like that seems yeah. like that could be a fun thing like yeah i kickstarted a really small run book because you use the word appropriate when you're talking about is it appropriate to use crowdfunding and i'll tell you the only way to test whether something is appropriate for crowdfunding is to crowdfund yeah. it yep. um i've seen all sorts of things be crowdfunded that you or i might be like well that's not appropriate to kickstart who cares right. if enough people yeah. backed it that's all that mattered it, it went and that's that's fine yeah the only thing, I'll just put a button on this real quick. The word I was looking for was consignment. And I'm going to, I'm going to oh. suggest you not go into consignment. We, we hear all the time from these, from, from uh, pro-am comics artists that are like, I'm selling my comic at the comic shop on consignment. This is so great. I'm selling on consignment. I've got news for you. Other than Amazon, which unfortunately is also uh, consignment. Consignment doesn't work at these at these uh, brick and mortar shops because uh, what always ends up happening and basically when consignment is you give them the book, you get paid if they sell it. But then what you got to do is you got to keep coming back week after week after week saying, did you sell it yet? Did you sell it yet? Did you sell it yet? Because they just took one or two copies out of you and they really don't care about getting back in touch with you if they did sell it. And what all in so many times, what ends up happening is that people just end up giving the books away because they got tired of asking month after month if it got sold yet. Right. Yeah. So don't do consignment. That's a really in my experience. And by the way, I'm one of those people uh, in my experience. It's never a good idea. Sell it to them for a, for a discount. Let them sell and uh, let them resell it retail. And, uh, and again, you've got a built in audience there. It would be it's almost like as a, as a Machiavellian, my Machiavellian business side. It's almost too good to pass up. Like when something is lined right up like that, you just go out to all the aerial gyms and offer them this book. It's 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 a little bit too tempting for me to, to not give you a little bit of a push in that direction. Hey, if you're listening while you work, take a minute to stand and stretch. And while you're doing that, we're going to tell you why you should join us on Patreon. When you do, you're going to get hours and hours of podcasts that we've recorded just for backers. And exclusive Patreon posts that go even deeper on Comic Lab topics. And access to our exclusive Discord server, which is a thriving community of professional cartoonists. So you can support the show you love and get tons of actionable resources for your own cartooning. And listen, if you can't swing a pledge this month, we get it. No worries. Yeah, yeah, listen, you can still support the show by rating us wherever you get your podcasts. Just leave a five-star review and a few kind words. That, along with mentions on social media, is incredibly helpful. Now, everybody, let's talk comics. Okay, Brad, well, we've got an update on previous discussions about both social media and about mm-hmm. New Yorker cartooning. Um, so let me jump in with this uh, with this one. It comes in and says, Hi, Brad and Dave. Not a question, but a data point to your ongoing critique of social media platforms. After several years of submitting to the New Yorker, I'm proud to have sold a few single panel con- <laughs> a few <laughs> single panel cartoons. Yeah. I was eagerly awaiting publication in the magazine with the spe- expectation that my followers on Instagram would skyrocket when the cartoon was in print and shared on New Yorker's various channels. Instagram, Twitter, etc., right. which would have millions of followers. After some experience with this, 
I can say that a cartoon in The New Yorker produces 10 to 20 <laughs> followers on Instagram. <laughs> What's been more productive in terms of an increasing followers has been engaging with the other New Yorker cartoonists through sharing and posting of each other's work. Yeah. Thanks for sharing your insights on the podcast. So, Brad, I think this this goes to a lot of things that we've been talking about in the last couple of weeks in terms of the, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint in right. terms of how to grow social media. But also, I think it speaks to how traditional media platforms, uh, as lovely as it is to get printed in them or to get, you know, to find your way onto their pages or uh, onto their paper, um, they're not set up to grow your audience. They're set up to move their product. Right. Yeah. And, and, and but listen, <laughs> first of all, getting printed in the New Yorker is still a, a, a big achievement. I yes. think, I think I'd love yes. to get printed in the New Yorker. They're not looking for my stuff. So uh, first of all, take a, take a moment to, to feel good about that. That that's, Absolutely. You just, that's a very, very small circle of people that get to be printed in the New Yorker. So you should feel good about that achievement. Uh, and, and also it's hidden down there at the end, but it's something that I've got to keep reminding myself about. And, and, and maybe it's worth reminding you here's, here's the best part of that whole thing. What's been most productive in terms of increasing followers has been engaging with other New Yorker cartoonists and sharing and posting each other's work. In other words, the social part of social media. Right. If yeah. you're like me, yeah. if you're like me, you you get into these jags where you're like, I've been posting my stuff and nobody cares. Nobody's um, is Friday and I'm not famous yet. I've been posting and posting and posting. And the, what the four C's of social media reminds us is that it's not just about posting your work. It's and and what what this person's saying is that the. Being social on social media actually brought him the greatest returns, not being printed in the New Yorker, not being featured on the New, York, New Yorker's social media platforms and their and their social media outreach. But being social helped him on social media. That's the biggest takeaway of all this is that and, and, and I say that as much for me as for anybody else, because I got to keep reminding myself is that the social part, the commenting, the sharing, all of that stuff that the four C's talk to us about is really what gives us traction on social media. Yeah. And and again, it is not something that is an overnight success on social media. Um, and, and increasingly, it's something that I would view with a tentative heart, because even if you build up that audience on Twitter, what's happening with Twitter long term? You right. know, what's happening with Reddit long term as it goes public? What's happening with Instagram as Facebook oh. continues to dwindle in its effectiveness? Um, so, uh, all of them are a, a slow marathon, like pace, not an overnight success. And, but listen, I want you to know, you're not alone in thinking if I do X, then Y will be the result in my cartooning, right? right? Yeah. I have had many of those moments. And so you are not alone. First of all, that you're like, if I get into New Yorker, then immediate gold car in, in, in this case, the gold car being like social media, uh, you know, uh, flood. Right. So I, I, I want you to know that you're not alone in that. I, I, I do that to myself all the time and continuously, even after 25 years of cartooning mm -hmm. that if, oh, if I just get to me, my current, uh, my current one is, and I know how stupid it is, is someday I'll win an Eisner. And when I get an Eisner, then 
all the doors were open for me. And uh, I know that's not the case. I, I know, know it's not the case. But I know. I'm just I'm saying this as a, a flawed human that I'm saying I still have that somewhere in the back of my head that if I win an Eisner, by God, the doors are going to open. I've seen it too many times that that movie doesn't play. The doors yeah. don't immediately open. Um, yeah. So uh, what does what does work, though, is slow consistent continuous ever improving quality work that you're yeah. putting out uh at, for, as a marathon not as a sprint um so this is another example but i do want to ask brad because i'm sort of fascinated by this how our teen and 20 year old versions would be so flummoxed that of all the publications we grew up with yeah. the new yorker is the last one standing for comics yeah, I mean, there was uh, growing up, there were three and, and maybe four if, if you'd count like back in the day, the Saturday evening post four. But also you could conceivably sell standalones to your local newspaper if you oh, did yeah. it long enough. Yeah. So, so you also but, had that as an outlet. Yeah. Yeah. But the big ones that everybody shot for was Playboy magazine, which was great for car for buying cartoons and paid top actually, dollar, yes. the New Yorker and Mad Magazine. Right. Those were the three triumvirate. Right. Maybe Saturday Evening Post. And well, Playboy magazine doesn't publish cartoons anymore. Uh, and Mad Magazine, I don't even think is publishing anymore. I think they've pretty much come to a halt or they're doing archive stuff or I don't know what they're doing. Uh, but I, I don't think they're buying uh, comics anymore. Uh, so that leaves the New Yorker. And and it's the same as what you were saying with your caveat there is that, well, you can sell them to your local newspaper, but you're not you're, it, it's not as possible as it was back in the day to build a career doing that because they're not paying top dollar. They're not paying great. And a lot of them aren't even buying. That leaves the New Yorker. Yeah. Right. It's just amazing that they were kind of for comics, for freelance cartoonists. They're the last one standing. They're the last one standing. And it's weird how in my own heart, I'm just being honest about this, too. I would still also love to get into The New Yorker because yeah. it's it's one of the last remaining comics places where my parents still know what The New Yorker yes. is. You know, like they 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 know that I'm vaguely on the Internet, but they also know that yep. a lot of other nonsense is on the Internet. So they're like, ah. But the New Yorker would still feel special in a non-monetary yes. way, you know? Yeah. No, it, it still got that gravitas. It still got that uh, that 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 street appeal yeah. where, it, you know, your parents, your neighbors, uh, you know, you, you show up at the next softball game and, and your wife is in the stand saying, yeah, well, we had a nice week. Then we had to go down and pick up a copy of the New Yorker to see Brad's new cartoon. And, you know, that that still has significance. You I know? want to pause the conversation because in this imagined scenario, Brad yeah. was doing something physical. Did everybody notice that Brad was playing in a softball league, which, OK, hold on. This dream scenario is now encompassing all sorts of fantasy versions of Brad. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm playing shortstop. I'm, yeah. I, and, and I just on the way to the game, I picked up a copy of The New Yorker to see my comic. And uh, yeah, and I. And I probably hit a home run that day, too. Oh, uh, by the way, the chest is 42 inches at last measurement. Like his yes. tailor had to take his suits out because yes. he's building up so much muscle and, mass. He's and running a chest. sub eight mile. It's amazing. Yeah. Brad's in incredible shape in this dream. And that, that's the chest measurement. Usually that 44 inches is about eight inches down. <laughs>
<laughs> That's my waist. <laughs> I mean, I gotta tell you, his his chin is more jutting. He's like, oh, he's just yeah. he's got a rugged tan. I got in a this great dream tan. scenario, Brad's wife is just beaming from the stands because he's in oh, the New yeah. Yorker. He's playing amazing softball, by the way. Oh, just incredible turns at, at shortstop. Yeah. So Really, I, I want to know that, Brad. We got to stop on our on our uh, cabin over there by uh, on Floyd Lake uh, in East Tawas, Michigan, where we can stop and we're going to spend a week up there on the way back. And yeah, it's it's a whole thing. It's a whole and, thing. You know, just to complete this image of this fantasy, Brad, that Brad has a transmission that works. And the goddamn Maz is not breaking down every three weeks. Oh, now I think I like that better than shortstop. <laughs> so let me jump back to because I haven't yeah. talked. Uh, I'll be honest. I haven't talked to a New Yorker con- cartoonist since before the pandemic. Wow. But if memory serves, the rate yeah. used to be about 800 bucks when you started, when you sold to the New Yorker, yeah. unless you were Roz Chass and then you'd get like 1500 or 2000 a comic, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. But if you're just starting in, but the, the weird thing about the New Yorker is you had to give them 50, 60, 70, 100, 150 right. comics before they would buy that first $800 cartoon. Yeah. So, uh, you and I, didn't we talk at one point that you and I were going to try to do the New Yorker? Like we would yeah. do it together. Yeah. We were going to do it as a team and, and yeah. see if we could come up with stuff together. But then we realized we would literally be leaving thousands of dollars on the table yes. by trying to get one $800 cartoon sold versus just doing our own stuff. Yeah. As opposed to, and, and eventually I guess you could catch up because you could go back and publish all the comics that they said no to. Yes. But there would be this big lag that neither one of us wanted to go through of, of creating stuff that we're not putting anywhere. And meanwhile, all that time that we're spending doing that, we're not spending doing things like Sheldon Drive, Evil Inc., Evil Inc. After Dark, all the stuff that's bringing the money in. Right. We're not doing that. And it's like, nah, I don't I don't have time to play games with it for, for, for the off chance that and, and then it was like, OK, what's the what's the what's the big win here? The big win is that you get a comic published in The New Yorker and maybe you'll get one next month. But then there's no guarantee on that either. Right. No. But I do feel like once you've broken the seal of gotten getting one in your, yeah. I, I feel like the, the likelihood of getting a second, third, fourth, fifth one is, is much higher. I would once feel you like make that relationship with yeah. the editor. Yeah. And I have to say to the credit of the new comics editor at the New Yorker, who I have not met, she's seems to be doing a great job of bringing in new voices because it was a little bit stale for a yeah. while in terms yeah. of it was always a Roz Chas cartoon, always a Corin cartoon. And then it's mm-hmm. like four people that you've seen since the seventies and it seems like there's newer voices uh, now. Yeah, and that's a good thing. That is so, a good thing. Uh, so uh, with a, uh, a firm congratulations to our Comic Lab backer who is published in The New Yorker and probably uh, plays a very mean second base as well. <laughs> <Let's>... <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Let's go to another Comic Lab Patreon backer who says this. Hey, Brad and Dave, later this year, my family plans on moving which means we will be very busy with packing, cleaning, buying, selling, etc. I'm thinking it may be necessary to take a break from actively working on my comic for a few months in order to take care of everything that needs to be done. Yeah, I think you're probably right. What do you recommend during that period in order to keep my writing and drawing skills fresh until I'm ready to start back up again is there anything else you would recommend for taking a planned break from comics thanks as always dave 
Uh, our friend here is going through a huge uh, life experience, moving houses. What's our advice? Well, first of all, uh, Brad, don't I uh, do I have it right by remembering half remembering that a move is emotionally equated sometimes with the emotional brunt of bearing a death in the family in terms of how badly it can hit you sometimes? As a matter of fact, there are there are five most stressful things in life. I don't know that they've got a ranking, but the five most stressful things in life is the death of a loved one, a divorce, moving, a major illness or injury and a job loss. And and also, I technically, depending on which uh, psychological textbooks you look at, number six is not doing well uh, at at shortstop. That's number six. <laughs> I didn't see it coming. God damn it. It's so rare that you could completely come out of left field. Hey, oh, but when they uh, get me, that's amazing. But yeah, this uh, is a major life stress moment oh, yeah. that our friend is going through. I think between Brad and I, I most recently did a move. Uh, I did one about uh, four and a half years ago. I did one just before COVID. Yeah, I will say this in a way that I think everyone can relate to. About four weeks ago, I unpacked the final, final box. (laughs) And I'm not joking. It was about four years later. I unpacked the final. It was in the downstairs hallway closet way up in the top corner that I couldn't reach. And you know what it had? It had bullshit in it. It had absolute bullshit in it. Stuff you should have thrown away in the first place. I should have just given it away four years ago. I was so mad. Anyway, um, so I have a lot of thoughts on this, actually. One is that... uh, I think we do ourselves a disservice if we force ourselves to create even through trying times. Yeah. Now, that being said, there are people for whom the cartooning can be a wonderful therapy to distract them from a death in the Mm -hmm. family or a divorce or a job loss or a move. So I get that. I'm not saying that for some people it isn't therapeutic. I'm saying there are moments in life for which you just have to acknowledge I am going through a human moment. I am not a super person. I can't do everything in this. The best thing I can do to honor this moment is to as efficiently and quickly process through this move. And by that, I, I, I would actually argue, and as much as I did unpack the final box four years ago, when you do move in, try to get as much as you can unpacked right away and, and as quickly get back to a normal life as you can, because psychologically, I, my previous move to this, it, it, dwindled uh, like slowly over the course of three or four years the boxes Mm -hmm. and i gotta tell you just power it out as much as you can within a week or two of the move because it's so much better but that being said don't kill yourself because there are just moments that you just have to honor that you you are not a super person you don't have to be creative in every single day of your life and as long as we're giving our listeners pats on the back let's give this person a pat on the back because when i first saw that question come through Mm -hmm. i thought it was going to be how do i keep posting my comic on the web as I'm going through this move, right? But they're not saying that. He's not saying that. He's saying, how do I keep my skills fresh? He says, I know I'm going to have to take a break. And I thought we were going to have to talk him down and say, listen, unless this comic is a major significant part of your revenue, right? Unless you're making significant uh, revenue and income from it, uh, you gotta, you gotta just stop posting on the web and 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 do this. Be present for this. Uh, and we're not having that conversation. He he knows that he can't post this stuff on the web right now. So pat on the back for that, for for being that 
evolved uh, to a a point that maybe I wouldn't have been at that same period of time. Right. Yeah. So good. Good for you for for doing that. Number one. Number two, uh, the best thing you can do. Okay, let's let's take writing and drawing. I'll take writing and you take drawing. How's this sound? Okay, that Uh, sounds great. For writing. Here's my advice to you. Moving and packing, the act of packing and moving has so much story potential to it that I want you to be completely focused on it. And here's what I mean. When you're moving everything, you're basically taking stuff that you probably haven't looked at for 5, 10, 15 years, right? And the only reason it's in your hand now is because you're putting it in a box, and you haven't paid attention. Really, maybe you shouldn't be throwing some of that stuff away, like we were saying, instead of paying to to put it in a box and take it out. But uh, you're doing a review of your whole life there. That thing that you haven't picked up for, for, for 15 years. Take a minute and just be in that moment, right? That, that, think about the stuff that you're putting in those boxes. Think about, yeah. you know, that this this uh, uh this thing that this old uh softball jersey from when you actually did play softball and you were actually able to move without looking like a lumbering sloth. Uh if you're like me, uh if, think about that as you're folding it up there and putting it away and 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 think about the just just the organizing of your life and the assembling and disassembling and being there for your partner and for your kids uh, and so forth as they're going through those same things and say hey look Joey I look what I found that, that was your that's Mr. Snuggles your teddy bear from when you were 3 years old have you we haven't even thought about this thing I'll throw it in the trash see what you think about that we don't need this shit around <laughs> you know that that family moment that you can have with your kids uh, in all seriousness, be there. And then what I want you to do is get a little book, a little notebook, a little something. And at night, because if (laughs) after all this activity, you're going to be just wore out. I remember when we were packing up our house, I was just, I was just sore all over. So take some time, sit down with a nice tasty beverage and write down your thoughts about what happened. You know, what, what'd you find? What'd you pack? What does it make you remember? You know, that this bring back a story Did this thing happen to that thing happened. Write down as much as you can about what you're going through. And that's going to turn you having this moment to reevaluate your life and to do a little review and a little remembering is all going to turn into good story stuff, right? Not maybe right now, but have it all written down. So later on, you can go back and look at that with a new perspective and say, oh, yeah, I remember when I threw out Mr. Snuggles. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. (laughs) Maybe that's a good example of what not to do in parenting. I'll write a story about that. Uh, this is your time to build up that bank of story ideas you got going on. And, and it's okay to be fallow for a little while. It's okay to, to have that part on pause, uh, but write it down so you don't miss it and, and, and so you don't forget it. And then come back to that later. I'll bet you find all kinds of great story ideas in it. Yeah, I will. First of all, I know I'm, my job is going to be to talk about art, but I will second what Brad said, which is, you know, you have sort of a um, uh, a bank account while you're yeah. going fallow and you're sort of paying into it with uh, with this moment. There's all sorts of experiences, memories, 
uh, archives of past versions of yourself that you're going to be going through with your boxes. You're like, oh, I remember these hopes and dreams. And it's like bad putting the softball glove into the box, you know, packing mm -hmm. it up where it'll still sit for 10 years. You know, more. <laughs> and, but you'll remember, you'll be pulling out yearbooks. You'll be pulling out old things that you haven't thought about. You forgot you ever had it. Oh, my gosh. Or photographs and all that sort of stuff. But all of that triggers um sort of creativity cycles that and brad uh, captured it perfectly which is write them down journal them because yeah. i uh don't tend to do storylines anymore in sheldon but back when i did and back when i was moving my move i know because i can think of them right offhand created at least three storylines in sheldon um that i yeah. used directly from the move one was yeah. a storyline about moving right i used all of that all the jokes about tape and boxes and bullshit and all that sort of stuff that happens during a move i turned it into comics because those are the experiential moments that become the bank account that you can pull from uh, in the future uh, for future ideas. So Brad's right on target. Now, I'll talk about art. Yeah. And I will say this, that a move is one of those times where your drawing hand is physically getting beaten up. Mm -hmm. It's not the right time to draw. Right. You're using major muscle groups. You're lifting. Your hand feels like a claw by the end of the day after moving a bunch of boxes. Yeah. If you're like every human that ever existed, you're not lifting with your legs, you're lifting with your back. So you're probably torquing your back and throwing it out a little bit. So you're not in the right physical space to be hunched over a drawing board, right? Yeah. It's, and you already know this already, by the way you're asking your question, this is not the right time to draw. Right. But what I will say is in the times where I have stepped away from my drawing desk, and for me, the most prominent one was when we were doing the editing on my documentary stripped which took about six to eight months of really intensive editing. Like it, God, it takes a long time to edit a documentary. Anyway, um, I had to basically put my cartooning on hold in order to get this film done. Yeah. And I kind of stopped drawing for about eight months, which was the first time in like 15, 20 years that I had stopped drawing. And what I found and what I think you will find in coming back to drawing after this move is over, you will discover new ways of drawing because you've a little bit forgotten the patterns that you were stuck in with your drawing. Yeah. So it's like a bike. Don't for, <laughs> don't be worried that you're going to forget how to draw. That's not what I'm saying is your hand will find new pathways to walk down because it hasn't been continuously drawing. It's been, it's stepped away and there's something sort of wonderful about that. I found it to be actually a really breakthrough moment in my drawing. I can point to the six months after my my film wrapped was a really experimental time of me saying, well, why couldn't I do washes in my comic or why couldn't I do uh, increasing hash marks that I've never done before or why, yeah. you know, a different way of lettering. I tried all of that in the six months because I was it felt new again. It felt fresh again. It was sort of like a second birth. And I, I really enjoyed it for that reason. Yeah. And I, it, that is something that I'm glad we talk about here because it's something that happens to everybody when you've, I, and, and it happened to me too, where when you take a little bit of a break, even if it's like a week vacation where you're not drawing that first day back at the drawing desk is always a little bit uh, frustrating because it's like, I forgot how to do all of this in a week. You know, you, you feel like your hand belongs to somebody else and you can't make it move right. And it's yeah. like, this is, this is terrible. I've been doing this for nearly 30 years and I forgot how to draw, but that's actually a good thing for the reasons that Dave sets out. And that is, it gives you a chance to rethink how you're doing things and, and it will come back to you. <laughs> you know, it's like riding a bike, but man, that first day is tough. 
the first day is tough. And to quote Brad back at Brad, what happens is you go like, how did I do this? How I, I know I used to do it X, Y, Z way. How yeah. did I do that? And what happens in you, you start asking in a way that you never did before the why yeah. behind the what? Yeah. Why did I set up my files this way? Right. Why did I use this specific kind of pen? Why did I? Why did I scan it this way and not that way? Why did I have that resolution? And what's great is it sort of makes you revisit the entire way you do your comics in a way that I found to be really enlivening after a decade and a half of cartooning. I was like, it, it sort of gave me an excuse to do a fresh revisit, Brad, on why I was doing things the way I was doing them. Yeah. And was there a better way to do them? Yeah, so this is a great time in your life, right? You can you can absolutely, uh, this is going to be a, a, a wonderful opportunity to recharge your creative batteries uh, and, and come back at that comic fresh and strong. It's going to be, it, it, it's, listen, sometimes being away from something for a little bit uh, of time will make it so much better when you come back and you're giving yourself that opportunity and and listen, we're giving ourselves that opportunity because we're going to go away for a week, but we'll be back after another seven days. We'll be back right back here sharing comics, stories, tips, tutorials and advice, because, you know, you'll be listening to Comic Lab, the show about making comics and making a living from comics. Your hosts have been my friend Brad Geiger, the editor of webcomics.com and the creator of Evil Inc. at evilcomic.com. And my friend Dave Kellett, the co-director of the comics documentary Stripped and the cartoonist of Sheldon at SheldonComics.com and Drive at DriveComic.com. And the Comic Lab theme song is used with permission from Andy Creighton at TheWorldRecord.net. And this episode was edited by Matt Woodard of Woodsong Productions over at www.woodsong.media. If you love Comic Lab, and we know that you do, you can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, and you may hear your review featured on a future episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star review on Spotify, where we are burning up the podcast chart. And Comic Lab is made possible by your support at patreon.com slash comic lab. So we'll go ahead and say that twice. Patreon.com slash is it sad that Brad's fantasy is about being a good softball player? <laughs> And, and my wife, my wife up in the stands, adoringly watch as I drop the bases, cheering, just, just cheering me on as I come up to bat and, and just, she's got nothing else better to do, but to watch me in, you know, I will. And, and by the way, Dave, my softball uniform fits perfectly. Like it's, it's got, it's, it's tight in all the right places. And I look like a dream up there. And ladies and gents, let me just say, in a way, in every way that matters, he is glistening with sweat. Oh, it's glistening. Perfect. Just the right touch. Now, yeah. I'm going to be honest. It's a little bit of a wet T-shirt contest for Brad. That <laughs> that sports jersey is revealing every ripple of that of those muscles. That six oh, pack yeah. is. It's. I mean, it's on display, and the and the crowd is loving it. They are eating yes. it up. And his wife is up there saying, "No, no, hands off. That one's mine." Yeah. And Brad looks up with a wink and just says, "And I sold the comic to the New Yorker." <laughs>